0: How's it going guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jim, And you're listening to the Cinema Show Podcast episode 217. Today's a big day, Zeke. Yes. Lots of
1: exciting things happened today.
0: There are. Oh yeah, you're talking about the Oscars.
1: Yeah, I'm talking about the Oscars, I'm talking about the Last of Us finale, which I haven't seen yet. Yes, So we'll talk about that next week. But yes. the Oscars, Zeke! Like, oh my the god! The Oscars happened. Yes. I have to say, this was an extremely exciting
0: Oscars year. It was a. It everything happened, didn't it? it everything
1: a, happened everything, everywhere. It happened
0: all at once. Even <laughs> um, <laughs> that was
1: the film on framed today. We had six frames to guess what the film is, and I got on the first one. It was everything everywhere. Felt very appropriate for today. They knew yes. what they were doing. Everyone, everyone knew what they were doing. Everyone was a, everywhere was knew. What a, they were doing.
0: Yeah, it was a real surprise. I mean, you know, we were talking in the weeks leading up to the Oscars. How everything everywhere sort of didn't have the same momentum that Parasite did going into mm. the Oscars, not in the same sort of snowball effect of it just building up and building up steam to the point where by the time we got to the Oscars, we pretty much didn't think anyone else had a chance. But Oh, um, well, well, I,
1: I, 1917 was still a very, very likely foe in its way. Yeah. I think mean, we look back now and it's like, it was such a monumental it was, like, it was scary at the time. Mm. there's a very good chance Paris would have lost to it, but whereas <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: there were there were enough films in there that, that warranted at least conversation. I think Best Picture was close to being set in stone, but all of the mm. the, the acting categories I think were definitely open books. Um,
1: it was up in the air. It really was this year. I was excited for that reason. Is that a lot mm. of the acting categories until very 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 late in the game were were unpredictable. Yeah, it's really and... exciting.
0: You know, we boy. There were I mean there were winners and there were losers and that is, I mean, that is true. They they did exist. Um, the film we're gonna be talking about in the second half of the show did walk away with nothing. Mm, so A lot of films walked away with nothing. But yeah, um a lot of films we've covered in the last few weeks <laughs> yeah. walked away with nothing. Um so speaking of that, Jake, yes. do you have any trivia facts from the film of the week which is The Banshees of Inner
1: I do, Zeke. It's very common to see this uh, slogan said for films or slapped at the end of the film credits. And I even noticed it in the Oscar credits today. No animals were harmed during the making of this production. However, on, in this production, there may have been several times where an animal actively tried to harm a human, and in particular, Colin Farrell, <laughs> who not only was kicked by Jenny the donkey, who made an appearance today at the Oscars, well done, Jenny, uh, was bitten by, I think it's Sammy, who's Brendan Gleeson's dog in the film, and at one point was in the back of a cart that was written by a horse who started to reverse it into the ocean. The horse tried to murder Colin Farrell <laughs> and
0: drown him. So Clearly Colin <laughs> gives off some sort of energy that doesn't. Maybe because they all saw him as a simple lobster, but mm, we don't know. Perhaps,
1: perhaps. They thought it was an easy target. Zeke! <laughs> Do you have any trivia facts for the Banshees of Ensure? Well,
0: you've given us one about Colin Farrell and and the animals, so I have to give one about Brendan Gleeson. Um, Believe it or not, this is not the first time Gleeson has played the fiddle. Um, Mm. In fact, this is the fourth known time as per IMDb. Uh, the other films being Michael Collins in 96, The Grand Seduction in 2013, and Cold Mountain in 2003, which mm, there you was go. the film that this film surpassed in its Golden Globe nominations, Cold Mountain. So That blew my mind that I knew Banshees did really well at the Golden Globe. So it was, what,
1: eight nominations? Mm-hmm,
0: which beat out that, yeah. Cold Mountain, which currently held the previous
1: record. I didn't realise it was that rare to have eight.
0: Yeah. Crazy. So that was a bit of a doubleheader. But yeah, yes, um, yeah. obviously, him playing the fiddle is a big part of this film. It is a very important
1: part of this film. Zeke. Yeah. Speaking of film, importance, mm. parts of something bigger. 1,100 films on the poster, films you must watch before you die. Would The Banshees of Inisherin or should it be on that list?
0: It's not on mine. Mm. Um, Interesting. This film's really good, but... I think this genre or even other Martin McDonagh films mm. I think would be on the list and this one would not.
1: Interesting.
0: What about you Jake? I
1: definitely would put it on my list. I think there there are quite a few very poignant themes I think the way the but well, the way the film goes about uh exploring those themes I think is just excellent. I can't wait to talk about this film with you mm-hmm. more in deeper detail. Uh, but in particular, but the idea of just the value we put in our own friendships and relationships, and I just think it tells that... It executes that idea so wonderfully that I think it has to be on the poster for that that reason. But mm. I, I'm i interested to see how this stands a test of time. I mean, you know, you look at the Academy Awards earlier today, a film like Everything Everywhere seems to be making that, that list of, like, this, this is what's in the zeitgeist, this is what's important to cinema today. Um, and I think he even sent me a, a, an Instagram thing like Steven Spielberg praising the Daniels mm-hmm. talking about how young filmmakers are teaching him more than anyone else these days um, but I think with time I think mean, Banshee's administration will get a lot more appreciation but we'll, we'll see we'll see. So before we get into any of that or the Academy Awards because I think we should definitely talk about those in detail Have you watched anything the last week
0: yeah, I mean, I, I can't say I've caught too much in the last week. I did catch Episode 7 of Last of Us, which I know mm. I'm a couple behind. You just mentioned that the finale is today. Mm. It's um, all right now. I've continued to watch uh, The Good Place and been enjoying that. And the only other film I caught in the last week, I'm just going to have to have a quick look at my letterbox diary, because that's... Sort of where I'm at at this point in the term where I need my diary <laughs> to support me. Okay, good. I did actually watch. I now remember what I watched. Oh, very it was, good. Um, it
1: sounds like a very memorable film that you I, watched. I, I, no, it was. It was an incredibly
0: <laughs> memorable film. I forget it was in the last week. That's oh, the I, thing. See. I see. I You know when you watch a film... I watched this film the night after we did the podcast. So oh, okay. So I think, kind of mixing your brain yeah. whether... Yeah, I see what you mean. So I got the 1981 film My Dinner with Andre. Mm. So, and yeah. I mean, I, I'm kind of in the early stages is developing an idea that sort of sits in the same sort of uh, contemporary minimalist style. I don't okay. know how you would call... That's probably the best way of describing um, sort of the concept of My Dinner, Royal and Ray. And, I mean, spoiler, it might be my 1980s nomination just to see if we can get this film Ooh. on the show. It's an incredible film um, about simply just two character, two people that have not been... Uh, around each other for a long period of time, and one of them took a massive hiatus from the theater industry and they 're both theater people and mm-hmm. It sort of leads to this uh massive conversation between the two about one of them sort of getting like through these all these immense experiences and then it sort of it is more reflective a reflexive conversation about the society and the world that they they live in around them and people don't see each other and, and it ended up being like this. I mean, it's one of those kind of films that if you like your before sunrises, your sunsets, it's mm. a, it's what I would call a quintessential Zeke film, the okay. film that I like, <laughs> which is just normally just little, two characters, just talking. T- tinge of Blue Jay in there. Yeah. I mean, uh, Blue Jay is still one of those films that though he did so early on this show is, mm. is one of the, the ones I still put forward um, as a film. You must watch. Yeah. Um, Because those are the kind of films I I absolutely envy. And I've sort of had this idea sort of stewing. And over the literally over the last weekend, I'm like, right, I'm ready to do this idea and explore this Mm -hmm. idea. And it was definitely a mix of sort of this film and how this film goes about presenting what on the surface is such minimal camera work um, in terms of it you could argue, Oh, it's just shot reverse shot with the two shot, but mm. there are times it pushes in and it changes the frame or cuts away to, um, the only other character in the film, which is essentially a waiter. Um, and just working between those lines. And I think, um, only a film between that film. And then what, even what Vintenberg did in another round in the mm. earlier dinner scene, which is relatively minimalist in what it does. Yeah. Um, But it's so effective. I was thinking, you 12 Angry Men Yeah, in terms
1: of how you shoot something like that for an hour and keep it interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, it's definitely interesting to explore. It's a fantastic film Mm, that is uh, leaked to YouTube right now. Oh, very good. (laughs) We'll concede it is a very hard film to watch here in Australia, just simply based off its availability. It's only... Available in Criterion Purchase. So, oh, there you go. Um, but fantastic film. The other film I watched was related to the uh, the Academy Awards. It won Best Documentary in 2011 called oh. Undefeated, which okay, essentially was, as a massive sports enthusiast, it was a collection of uh, your Coach Carters and your um, <laughs> Friday Night Lights, you know, any of those dra- dramatic, but it was obviously a documentary following a low socioeconomic high school and how their uh football program is sort of like a way of keeping a lot of young african-americans out of sort of trouble so mm. a very similar premise to things like coach carter and 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 this and sort of how this uh, coach who doesn't get paid by the school he volunteers right um just because he loves football that much and it is a it's a very compelling documentary. You can see why it won Os- the Oscar back then cuz sure. to be honest there weren't a lot of programs and stuff around at that time in 2011. Obviously now we have a lot like Netflix covers a bunch with Last Chance U and um all kinds of uh sports documentaries that follow yep. sort of that stuff, but back at the time, very uh, very uh, inspirational very conventional documentary. Not mm. didn't have a huge budget. So, that's sort of... You kind of love to see that. Yeah, very nice. What about you, Jake?
1: Yeah, so I caught a couple of things. They're actually all relatively new films. Uh, The first one I'm going to mention, I really, really hope it does get some shout-out at next year's Academy Awards, of course. Well, it did. They literally posted about this film on their Facebook page. So, it's happening, Zeke? Cocaine Bear for Best Picture in 2024. (laughs) Uh, Okay, look. We'll get into Cocaine Bear. Yep, let's go into it. I found it funny... There are multiple times when I'm I'm laughing. It's so absurd, ridiculously violent. Um, there's like stuff in there that's very taboo. I mean, there's there's kids are literally trying cocaine in the film and not having any clue like what they're doing, and <laughs> it's some of that stuff is very funny and a very juvenile yes. sense. I'm gonna laugh at it, but I kind of just spent the entire viewing experience thinking, I wish I could watch like a cheap. Like a B-grade nineties version of this film instead of what we actually got because you kinda have all the, the check boxes being ticked for mm. like a twenty twenty-three comedy that's gonna get bums and seats. It's like, Oh look, it's about a bear on drugs. How wacky is that? Oh look, quote unquote, inspired by true story when it's really not. The one time they found a bear that had died of an overdose, and like, hey, what if it killed a bunch of people? (laughs) Directed by Elizabeth Banks, like, oh, that's an interesting (laughs) person to direct this film. Stars Ray Liotta and Margo Martindale. You know, the girl from Florida Project, Brooklyn Prince, is in this. You know, just like all of those little check boxes of like, hey, look, this is a silly, funny movie that will make money. When if someone had generally wanted to make like a, a genuine horror film around a bear, like this has gone mm. nuts and like have this wider commentary on not only, you know, n- the violent nature of, of nature and, and you know, man versus beast, that kind of aspect, or even, even comment on the white wider idea of drugs in society and, and what that means. And th- to make it a genuinely scary film in the nineties, that was very cheap, but like, it had to try and be unique. Like, mm-hmm. I, would, I wish I could see that version of this film instead of the one that's oh, well Ray Liot is in it, so you'll you'll find that funny.
0: Yeah, so you, you're almost you're saying you wanted the snakes on a plane sort of vibe. I'm, th- I'm thinking
1: even more big, great, even more like I mean, Attack of the the Killer Tomatoes, which is like intentionally. Mm -hmm. Uh, it it is a parody it's intentionally bad but you know what i mean like just because there was like sharknadoing it sharknado yeah just i feel like if if it was a cheaper budget if they didn't have all of those names to sell the film yeah just like the very baseline level of humor to get you to watch the film like i'm watching cocaine (laughs) Bear. like i would have loved to have seen someone try and make something out of this idea that's all I could think watching the film, even though I'm laughing at some of the, the bits and...
0: Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I get what you mean. Like, by scaling it back, you end up getting almost that... Um, it could easily push a, the, the death-proof Tarantino-esque, mm. um, sort of that classic, yeah, 80s slaughterhouse sort of yeah exactly vibe. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I, I just kind of wanted that version of the film instead. Look, it wasn't a terrible film, but... It certainly felt like a real big missed opportunity. Mm. Like, the fact that I watched Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and walked away being like, that was actually fantastic. I loved it. I, you know, the, you can definitely take a silly promi- premise mm. and make it actually into something really interesting. So, uh, it is what it is. Cocaine Bear. But, the other film I watched I actually went to the theatre twice this week's week, Zeke. Twice? Look, look, look at me go. Look at me big go. week for you. I know. I saw Two Leslie.
0: Now... This was the the controversial film. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. So for those who don't know, Andrew, Andrea Riseborough, who was up for best actress, I did find it funny watching the Oscars. They seen the two Leslie snippet because it's like it's such not a low budget film. Like it's it's a I quite enjoyed it. I'm, I'm talk about it in a minute, but it's like that's not the kind of film, and it did not get the kind of awareness to end up in the Academy discussion. And that's where the controversy mm. comes through with with her nomination in particular and the way they went about um campaigning for her and it, I think they're definitely going to think twice the academy about their rules about campaigning in future. I don't think there's anything inherently bad with the with what they did. I I mean it helps her performance is actually very good. And it's very different from the other, you know, you look at Kate Blanchett and Ana de and you look at all those performances, they're a lot more flashy. There's like more life to them. Mm. And I think Andrea Riseborough's performance as Leslie is, is a lot more lived in and reserved. and She's basically playing Bojack. <laughs> okay. she She's very problematic. She has substance issues. She's got very strained relationships with the people around her, including the local town people and her son in particular. Uh, the premise basically jumps off this idea that she won the lottery, won $190,000, jumped forward six years later, and she's homeless kicked out of the motel her son hates her the whole town hates her what on earth happened now it's interesting because the film does sort of phrase that as its driving question you're spending a lot of the film leading to this like reveal of what happened Mm. when a lot of it really is just spoken through her performance visually by just her behavior the way she treats people uh the way she deals with her substance abuse it's like the answers are all there they're all just sort of trickled out through this wonderful performance so I I love that aspect of it. I really particularly like the character of Sweeney, who's played by Mark uh, Maron, like a nice softness, did, calmness. Did Mark Maron back. Yeah, and he, he's pretty Mark. much serving the exact same narrative function slash performance as a uh, Paul Rassi's in Sound of Metal. It's actually a very similar comparison when you look at like his function in that film, and then and then Mark Maron's uh, function in this film. So I really enjoyed that in terms of Michael Morris's direction. And keep in mind. I've been excited to see this film long before the Oscars uh, controversy, because Michael Morris is a prominent director in Better Soul*. It was edited by Chris McCaleb, who not only uh, edits Better Soul* but does the podcast. Which obviously that's all over now; the show's finished. But uh, so I heard a lot about this movie during those podcast discussions. I was listening to it n- nearly a year ago now, so I was I had a lot of hype leading into the film for that reason. I got to say, Michael Morris's direction it's very restrained. So like
0: we, we feel
1: like there could be more to it? Well, I think it's restrained because it's trying to let the performances just speak for themselves. It's kind of like when we talked about private life all the way back in episode one. Mm. You feel like a fly in the wall and at times it's very uncomfortable. And I think if it's trying to achieve that, it achieves that very well. It's not a very overly flashy uh, direction. The camera does very little in terms of every now and then you get a bit of a movement or like it will miss like a focal point. It feels a little documentarian in that way. But otherwise it feels very much like just let the performances speak for themselves. And I and I think I think that really helps in the film's favour. I think it's a fine film. I definitely recommend yeah, go and see it. I think it's very interesting. There's some good character stuff in there. I think Andrea Brisburgh is great in it. Yeah. It's a fun little film.
0: Okay, cool. Well at yeah. least that's more positive than it's obviously given the controversy you thought. Yeah, exactly. I mean the into-
1: controversy has nothing to do with the actual film itself. Yeah. And if anything, people who watch the film are probably, like, lessened to this controversy because they're like, oh, well, I actually think she does deserve that seat in the Best Actress discussion. Yeah. It obviously led nowhere. We know how the Academy Awards turned out earlier today. I never expected her to win. There was absolutely no chance. It was always going to be between Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh, which we'll get into in a moment. But, yeah, I, I thought it was a fine film. I will say about Michael Morrison's, though, very clever. There's a scene where they, her and her son are joking about, like, zoo exhibits where he's like, why would I want to go to the zoo? Like, we're just staring at animals. You wouldn't like that. And, of course, Leslie's like, that's how I feel all the time. And <laughs> and then I like how it's visually reinforced because not only are we the audience doing this, but a lot of the characters in the film, they're constantly looking through peepholes, uh, window frames and open doors. There's a lot of that scopophilia stuff going on, which definitely ties back to that zoo exhibit comment that the character made. So, yeah. No, I'm, I caught it, Michael Morris. I caught it. Well done.
0: There we go. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that segues very nicely into our Academy discussion. So I'm going to open the link right now. Now, I have to say. You have to say. I have to say. So no. (laughs) You must. I've been watching. Okay, well, first of all, this is the first time I ever actually got the Oscars running in real time or live on my television. It's almost always something wrong with the ABC link or Channel 7 does a delayed feed or whatever. Yeah, so they between, are pretty
0: shocking sometimes.
1: Yeah, and it was thankfully just doing the seven plus thing just worked immediately. I was able to get a live feed. I come up and Jamie Lee Curtis is doing a speech. I was like, oh my god, I'm actually up to up to date. So I even more so than some of the previous uh, Academy Award ceremonies, I was able to pretty much watch this all in real time. I think every single winner I either read or watched live uh, in relation to who had won at that point. So it's not like I just pulled up the article and like here are all the 23 winners and i gotta say more than any other year this was so fun because the order of which we found out who won what especially this year was just so it was just a journey and especially following uh you know a lot of what people were saying like oh this is what we think is going to win and sort of the general discussion of of who was lined up for which uh, oscar and which films were going to win more than others and I gotta say that that weren't. There were a few very clear ones, like you said earlier. Everything everywhere was pretty much a lock for best picture for at least yeah. the last few weeks. I would say. I'd say so. Um, and I think them as directors also pretty much a lock for the last few weeks, especially since the I think the DGA's, but also just the SAGs. The fact that they sweeped the SAGs, absolutely phenomenal. Um, but that being said, there were some genuine surprises in the other categories. So, I'm going to go through this, Zeke, and we're just going to have a little discussion of what we think. Mm-hmm. I'll start with the supporting... Well, actually, I'll start with the very first award, which was Best Animated Feature. Of course, I went to Pinocchio. As it should have. Yep. I don't think there was any question about that. I think they very intentionally made that the first award of the night, because it was quite possibly the most predictable.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I, well, I mean, it's a fantastic film. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. You know, it, it, it's remarkable yeah
1: i i have absolutely no issues with that at all i'm just trying to find the actual here we go the other example i've i've very seen few of these i've seen turning red that was also in, you've seen the sea beast which is also in here but neither of us have seen puss and boots the last witch which is actually doing really well to be fair and marcel the shell with shoes on which i really do want to see but that seems more like experimental in terms of the art of animation i think arriving are right i think
0: pinocchio was, was all of pretty them. like locked into yeah i'd say
1: I mean, that was pretty much, you're right, locked in. I mean, I think we know for a fact because of the whole St. Anthony Hopkins, Chadwick Bozeman thing that they don't actually know what's going to win. But they're making educated guesses here when they make something like that the yes. first award of the night. It's like, okay, let's get it out of the way. Go right into Best Supporting Actor, which I think of all the acting categories, this was probably the most obvious in terms of the Precursor Awards. Ki-Han Kwan won for Everything
0: Everywhere all at once beautiful speech he well, was just, how sweet. many good speeches has he got <laughs> <laughs> he whips out, talking about his refugee standards. I know yeah. if I, he talked about
1: his mum in this one it was, yeah, it, was it was really was
0: beautiful really, it was really sweet
1: oh, it was absolutely fantastic I think look I think looking at this list here I haven't seen Causeway yet so I can't comment on that I think Barry Keegan and uh, Judd Hirsch they didn't have a lot to do in their respective films comparatively to someone like He Hei Kwan or Brendan Gleeson for example um, but I, th- I think this was a very clear pathway, and I think it's a very deserving award. Yeah. He really does carry that film. He goes on, on his own shoulders. Next up, this was crazy, Zeke. And I think this is what cemented in me that Michelle Yeoh was absolutely going to win Best Actress, was when Jamie Lee Curtis won Best Supporting. Now, in terms of the precursor awards leading up, she did win the SAG... But I'm pretty sure Carrie Condon won the BAFTA. I know Angela Bassett was winning a lot of the the earlier awards. There was even rumors that like Stephanie Shu was going to come in out of nowhere and win just the Oscar. This was a crazy category, and I think what it speaks to more than anything is just that the Academy absolutely freaking loved everything everywhere. Yes. Uh, as much as I would have loved to have seen Carrie Condon win, especially rewatching Banshees, I'm like she's so good in that film. She's unbelievably good in that film, and in all honesty, I don't I don't know what your take is, Zeke. Between Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Shue, both in the same film, I actually would probably would have preferred to see Stephanie Shue win out of those two. Really? I I think so. I think she has a lot more to do, but it's not even just that. I think it's it's a so much more versatile performance because she is playing the the true antagonist, mm. which is a. Obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis is sort of an antagonist in the
0: film. But she's the henchman.
1: She, yeah, exactly. And then you also have the, the deeper relationship of there being the mother and daughter and the whole, the whole thing of her coming out as a lesbian. Not not necessarily to her mother, but like to the wider family. There's a lot going on there. And I think between those two, I would have loved to have seen Stephanie shue win instead. I don't know. At,
0: well, I don't know. My person, I mean, hmm. look, I, I think... I pr- I probably would agree with you. Mm. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't have had either of them winning that particular okay. category. Sure, but um, I think it goes to I'm trying This is this Jamie Lee Curtis's first Oscar or second? Yes,
1: I think it's her first nomination and first win. Well, it's not the only one on this night where that happened.
0: is it? <laughs> <laughs> it happened I think
1: sixteen of the twenty actors nominated this year. Uh, first-time nominees. That's pretty cool. So I think, like, Kate Blanchett uh, is obviously one who would have been nominated in the past. Um, you know what? Brendan Gleeson never been nominated either. That's so Barry weird. Barry Keegan to... never been nominated. That's crazy. Yeah. Quite a few. I'm guessing Angela Bassett's been nominated in the past. I'm guessing. Yeah. Not too sure about that.
0: Yeah, I probably would lean, lean with you. I agree with you, but... um Because okay. I'm trying to sit here, but I think because I was going to say it's the diversity of uh, the diverse performance that Curtis mm-hmm. gives but they all give that right? yeah exactly that's... they all have to
1: that's true to, credit to Jamie Lee Curtis like she's not just playing like the uh, the, the, the tax you know the, the stereotypical tax mm-hmm. thing in the, the beginning of the film she she also plays the, the hot dog finger lover you yes. know and, and many other variations of that character so, so she's giving a very versatile performance as well it's not just Stephanie Shue it's not yes. just everyone else in that film so fair enough I think that is fair enough I think let's just jump right into best actor and actress so like I said as soon as Jamie Lee Curtis found, I was like okay well Michelle Yeoh's a lock mm-hmm. it's gonna happen you don't give Jamie Lee Curtis the Oscar and not Michelle Yeoh it is her film in so many ways so I'm very very happy about this like I said I'm very torn with the Kate Blanchett thing I thought it was an extremely exciting race for those two
0: but one of them's going to lose. It's One of them and has to lose,
1: yeah. And in the, if you want to look at it from that way, in terms of the diverse, diversity of her role, the wider career implications, the fact that I think she's the first Asian woman to win Best Actor, and that Cate Blanchard already has two Oscars. So if you want to look at it from that standpoint, the choice was very clear. Yes. The momentum was there, especially with the SAG win and so on. Yeah. Are you upset that um, you got Ana de Armes, Michelle Williams... Obviously, Angela Riseborough who I just talked about. Are you upset that any of them weren't even part of this conversation?
0: I think it's a shame Michelle Williams isn't considered. Sure. I think I think what she does with The Fablemans is is really quite solid. And mm. I, I'm kind of a little retrospectively a little disappointed that we didn't start to see maybe a little bit more of an even feel because I think mm. two or three films, you know, we could talk about the losers that don't get any... Uh, awards out of this and wide a few films walked away nothing to leave. and i i think i don't think i and this might be a hot take or whatever i mm. think everything everywhere all at once a very good film mm. but it wasn't like a parasite you know like a film that it's like well that doesn't surprise me the sweep right like, you know or, or won nearly twice as many oscars
1: as parasite for reference <laughs>
0: And I just, to me, I think this year was more even than that. And I, mm. you look at, and I know the Oscars aren't the be all and end all. Sure. Um, but uh, for some of these films to walk away with nothing mm. it just seems like a bit of a head scratcher to me. And yeah. I think that this film was good, but it's like you know we had this conf- I think we brought it up last week. where did the dance go from here? What's next? Mm. Um I'm still waiting to see what Bon Junot does
1: next. I think that's even a tougher road to follow.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. I think personally, yeah, that's sort of my my f- opinion on that. I'm a little disappointed how much this how skewed it was mm. to be honest. I think a lot of the performances were very good, but there were a lot of really good performances. And like you said, the fact that it, they basically had five nominations more out of a curtis, well, out of the fact that they had to have it more than there were realistic there were five realistic people that could win it mm.
1: i think it's interesting because i was thinking from that standpoint recently and 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 my gold derby predictions i actually didn't do that well this year i got 12 out of 23 um eight though were my second choice it Was it was a lot of surprises in here mm. especially in the, the techie categories but in terms of everything everywhere sweep and we'll talk about All Quiet in the Western Front because it actually did extremely well and yeah. I think All Quiet's performance and specifically the order in which we found out what Oscars it won was like jaw-dropping it was so like that's like edge of your seat stuff right there when, mm. when I saw what that was winning and then what it lost crazy we'll get into that in a minute but I'm kind of with you in the sense that I would have loved to have seen a bit more love spread throughout and that they could have gave Tar one award which would have been the Kate Blanchet Award they could have got Banshee's one or two awards... Which either could have been the Carrie Condon Award... Or original screenplay... And... It kind of... I do agree with you in the sense that... I wish it wasn't so clean a sweep... I actually thought about that with the whole... The Nomadland year... Especially because that was... It was literally one of the most predictable... Best Picture winners ever... To the point where it wasn't even the last award they gave out that day... Because of course Nomadland's gonna win... Of course it's gonna win... And I look back to that year being like... Damn it would have been interesting if they just... Like explore a bit more yeah, so I get exactly what you mean this year everything up have seven awards
0: that's a lot of awards yeah and it wasn't you know if you, you look at the company it might be joining and how like how many Oscars have had that like many Oscar wins mm. I don't think it shares that it doesn't sit in the same sort of let like prestige level for me. Mm. It doesn't sit in the you know. If I if I, s- I think the last I don't know where I read
1: this stat, but I think the last time we saw a performance this good from a best picture nominee was *Slumdog Millionaire*, which I think also got seven, maybe eight wins. I think I read that stat somewhere. I mean, and then you got films it, like *Titanic*. of yeah, course. Yeah, well
0: *Titanic*. You know, you got fourteen out of seventeen categories. Ben Hur, and *Return then of the King*. *Return of one. the King*. Yeah, and it's like return of the king caps off that's a trilogy award Mm. so that's not like that's an award for all three films really sure yeah um (laughs) it's not really just for that film in particular yeah um and you know I mean, ben-hur titanic um massive
1: massive films yeah
0: you know and i'm i'm looking through here and you know even la la land only that got six and that feels in terms of its you know Mm. I mean, it's good. It shows at least one good thing we can take away from this is clearly the the essential, quintessential uh, blockbuster is changing or it's evolving. Yeah, like, exactly. Um, uh, this is
1: a very innovative film, and I, I wish I looked this up to confirm before we started recording, but the thing I noticed, and I was talking to Blake about it, he knows as well, a lot of the people accepting these awards were very young. Mm. Young editors, young producers... Yeah, you know, it's a very different kind of film than what usually wins best picture. And I'm not just talking about like the big parasite year. I'm talking about the kind of film that is just so exhaustive and energetic and weird. It is a bizarre and weird film. Yeah. And it I mean, did as well as like, it did. Yeah, like
0: Sarah Polly winning for women talking, you know. That was
1: shocking. And I'll get to why in a minute, but I mean, hey, that's fantastic. I still haven't seen Women Talking. I'm glad for Sarah Polly I I'm very excited to see the film. I think this is a good segue to talk about All Quiet. So, yes. first two awards that All Quiet wins is Cinematography and Best International Film. Very predictable awards. That was very much what the conversation was going for. I don't really know what else would have won for Cinematography other than if they really wanted to go with like a Top Gun Maverick sort of thing. Yes. But I think that it was a very clear... They give it to the war, the war film that killed it at the Baptist. That made a lot of sense. And then it won two more awards back-to-back... Which blew my mind. It won Best Production Design. Which pretty much was... They stole it right from Babylon. Yeah. Is the, the general consensus. I had voted for Babylon in two categories. Best Production Design and Best Score. All Quiet stole it from both of them. That is madness. And at that point... This is what? Four Oscars. We're still pretty early into the night. mm And I'm paying attention, like, oh my god, this is, like, crushing. Could it even win Best Picture at this rate? And then, I'm like, what if it wins Visual Effects? Which, it doesn't. Of course, it goes to Avatar The Way of Water. Yeah. That's not a big surprise. But then, it goes to two more categories. I'm like, well, surely it's going to win this. I've been predicting this for weeks. It's going to win Best Adapted Screenplay. Nope. Loses the Women Talking. Yeah. Wow. And then, next award, Sound. Oh, it's going to win Sound. Loses the Top Gun Maverick.
0: Yeah, so, just wild, man. I mean, at least that was like that's trading some of those, uh, you know, wins we're talking about there. Yeah, like, where it's, it's not completely. There is a very fair argument to for Top Gun: average to win cinematography, and, and mm. in most, <laughs> simply just from the the sheer effort that they had to put in. I know the scale, and and like you said, the the war film is a pretty safe bet for cinematography. Yeah, most <laughs> in most war films. Just by its scale, and you could argue that's that's been an Oscar uh, institutional right almost. Mm. Um, But
1: and that's not to say the film doesn't completely deserve the cinematography. No, it's It's a great,
0: great, great looking film. Still not going to the 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 original score. One's a confusing one still to me. But
1: yeah, no, like (laughs) I'm going to say it's divisive because there's a lot of people, including myself, that that were just a little thrown off by it. Like you said, uh, and I know people that absolutely love it because it just felt so unique for the kind of film that it, that it was playing underneath. Sure, um, I'm just annoyed that I listened. I listened, and people were saying, "Oh, well, Babylon's going to win score." I d- I don't I don't know why I listened to them. I should have known. No, I should have
0: known. Or quite a win for score. I don't think Babylon really. Babylon, it, one of those. The only reason we were like, "Oh, it deserves an Oscar," is in the same category as Elvis. It, a mm. lot of money got thrown at it, and that's that's. Yeah. Enough to be like, well, maybe got a PD Oscar. Now, I mean, even Avatar got a p.d. <laughs> Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: like, even Elvis, and that's another great segue, this is what told me that Brendan Fraser was going to be Austin Butler. I had voted for Austin Butler on Gold Derby because I thought, what? okay... No, no, not because I think he deserved it over Brendan Fraser. <laughs> okay. Because I thought, okay, well, the Academy, I'm going to put my chips on Michelle Yeoh and they're going to make that tough call and they're going to give it to her. I really doubt they're going to do it twice I feel like they're going to give it to the obvious choice, which is the music biopic dude who's playing Elvis and not Brendan Fraser. I was prepared for that, Zeke. And then guess what happened? Elvis lost makeup to The Whale. Yeah. That was then, crazy. I was like, oh my God. And then oh you God. It was coming. I knew as soon as it happened, I was like, well, Brendan Fraser's going to win. They did not hate The Whale. The Whale is one of only three films that got more than one Oscar tonight. That's crazy.
0: That is pretty wild to think about. Um, and then, of course,
1: just, Black Panther, uh, Wakanda Forever got the costume thing over Elvis, so Elvis walked away with nothing. And which I was
0: very surprised about. Well, as a stale popcorn nominee, it, <laughs> it, it, clearly the Academy was listening to us. Yep, yep, they took um, our advice. They were like, you know, like, oh, those boys, they know what they're talking about. I'm happy because I'm not a Baz Luhrmann fan, mm. and. And that's a very Baz Luhrmann film. And well, you know what? Look, people like the we we were talking last week with triple triple R R R, which also took out best original uh, song, which is cool. Um, The performance was so good,
1: you have to watch it on YouTube. Oh, really? They did a live live performance. It's so good.
0: Oh my god, it's well deserved. Um, But yeah, look, I mean, we can sit here and go, um, and I think that's well deserved. But. For me, Elvis. That maybe this is the hallmark of of how the era is starting to change, or at least mm. the the Academy's perception of what uh, these big films sort of mean. I mean, ten, fifteen years ago, maybe even only five or six years ago, in a pre Green Book world, mm. maybe this film would have been doing a lot better. Yeah, but um the bohemian rhapsody of oh yeah i was gonna say, say yeah, yeah even to maybe only five years removed from that world of the bohemian rhapsody world and i think it was such a over-the-top shamozzle of a film mm. that was l- long and arduous and had very inconsistent performances and had moments that were really awesome yeah. you know and we we talk about it on our episode but overall it was just a Mess of a film, like Mm -hmm. it was why, and was so clearly relying on the fact it was an Elvis film, not that it was even a good story. Mm. And um, it got nominated for the the categories you thought it would, and you know, like I said, I think that there were certain films that in previous years would have got that that pity Oscar, but I guess now we live in a world now where maybe some of the members are becoming more open to the different i mean it shows when you've got a show like i said there's a film that is joining the company of titanic and lord Mm. of the rings (laughs) and it has a universe with hot dog people so there we are
1: oh goodness yeah i think and i and i will say you know obviously as australians we are proud of the nomination for mandy walker who was an aussie in terms of her cinematography for elvis but like we said it's kind of a Baz Luhrmann sort of it's very Baz Luhrmann
0: yeah and then you hear about some of the things that like what it was like for Austin Butler on the set and you you okay yeah apparently didn't have a great time
1: oh that's not good so oh that's a shame yeah look I'm definitely pleasantly surprised at the lack of Elvis in the show and and like you said it just wasn't a film I was very I was very into Mm -hmm. so I was pleasantly surprised to see films like The Whale and Black Panther sort of Come in from underneath and so. Does this, some this mean the, the Renaissance
0: is complete?
1: I guess so. Yeah. I mean that's that's it. It's the, the Renaissance is complete. You were correct. Yeah. Now Scorsese better finish his damn film, and then we can see him in that film as well. That's all I want. Uh, to wrap it up, I guess we got everything everywhere. Also, one for film editing. That was incredibly predictable. Uh, yes. Simply because as 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 much as All Quiet killed it at the BAFTAs. That was one award it didn't win. And that Everything Everywhere only won editing at the Baptists. So, of course, it was going to win editing here as well. Uh, and like I said, Top Gun Maverick got sound. You mentioned Natsu Nazi, Nazi for Best Original Song. Uh, I guess that goes into, and we don't have a lot to say for these films, in terms of like documentary short, The Elephant Whisperers one, Best Live Action Short Film, and Irish Goodbye one uh, I think that's the one where they, they sung Happy Birthday to the actor. It was really weird. You should look up the speech for an Irish There's always, goodbye. like, one weird one, isn't There's there? There's always one
0: weird one. There's always uh. a John Travolta moment, <laughs> isn't
1: there? I think he was there tonight as well, I so saw a picture of him. And then you've got The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse, which won Best Animated Short. Over on Documentary Feature, the only one... Did you catch Fire of Love? Yes. Yes, you did. Yeah, that, yeah. I think that's the only one that... Which did. was really good. I really enjoyed it. I was kind of rooting for it a bit.
0: But you're always rooting for the one that you've seen too exactly that's what I mean but it's like I had no context
1: like I hadn't seen all the booty and the bloodshed which actually comes out later this week we'll mention it later and of course uh, Navalny won instead I was hearing a lot of buzz coming up on that recently Uh, I think it was the number one gold derby pick so I shouldn't be too surprised by that Um, but yeah I guess we'll hear more about Navalny later (gasps) in the show Uh, but yeah looking at this I think my big takeaways is like you said Zeke it would have been nice to see a little more love spread um, I would have been more than happy with Everything Everywhere just kill- crushing it in the director category mm-hmm. I think that is absolutely 1 million percent deserved I would have loved to see seen Banshees get more of a shout in screenplay Carrie Condon for supporting actress uh, is there any f- well let, let's quickly go through this because Tar won zero Academy yes. Awards Banshees of Inner won zero Academy Awards yes The Fablemans won zero Academy Awards. Triangle Triangle of Sadness, which neither of us have seen, to be fair, that won zero awards. Uh, Other films that were nominated for at least three Oscars that got nothing, Babylon, The Batman. Uh, Like we mentioned earlier, Elvis, eight nominations and zero wins.
0: I cannot believe the Batman didn't win anything. Yeah. That is, you know, if we were to go through the ones I feel like were robbed... Mm. I think that that film had a legitimate claim to things like cinematography.
1: Yeah, which wasn't even nominated. Baffling. That is baffling. And even Roger Deakins has come out and said, guys, how did you not nominate the Batman? And the fact that Deakins <laughs> says that. I mean, I feel like that
0: at that point, you're like, oh, maybe we should have. <laughs> I,
1: I mean, that probably means more to them than the actual Oscar itself. <laughs> yeah,
0: like, and I think because Greg that... I mean, well, Greg
1: Fraser won last year, to be fair. We shouldn't mention that.
0: But to be fair, I mean, I guess, yeah, you walk away and you're like, well, there's always going to be films that get scalped. But yes, Mm. a film like that to not even get nominated, you're just like, wow. (laughs) I wonder if there's now a stigma. Yeah, well, it's interesting because,
1: you know, Black Panther still got one award today. It wasn't for the acting award. I think the Angela Bass said of it all. But So in terms of the superhero thing, it does lean towards Disney, Yes. For, for obvious reasons, ABC, Dustin, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just going to quickly go through my personal rank of 2022 films on Letterboxd and see what was completely snubbed. Um, we should mention that RRR got snubbed because India did not uh, submit it as its uh, film for international feature. Of course, countries can only submit one film, which is absolutely ridiculous.
0: Well, that just sounds like India messing up there. Though.
1: Oh, 100% doesn't it? unbelievable i mean it's like it's like friends with portable adiam fire what were you thinking <laughs> what were you thinking so it's worth mentioning that um i got films like Petite ma man i mean that that i think that's probably the previous year so that's probably not even worth mentioning i'll mention apollo 10 and a half though
0: which wild that doesn't get nominated in that um the i guess that would be the um, animation category wouldn't it yeah i think Is it how do rotors about where does rotoscoping sit? I think that's what we're seeing here is that gray area that
1: is there's a technical reason it's not allowed to be nominated for animated film, or because of the confusion, people just didn't vote for it at all, even though it was eligible. I actually don't know what the deal is there, Uh, but I wanted to mention it because that actually I I put that as my number one favorite film last year, even ahead of Everything Everywhere. So um, I wanted to mention that as well. Uh, The menu that would have been nice to have seen something screenplay yeah. nom at least
0: the, the menu is kind of one of those films though where it's like i think it's kind of in that category of like a kingsman you know mm. like it's just a film yes. that we all look back on and go wow that was a great film like that's a great but yeah. it never to me it never felt like it had that the oscars sort of feeling that's the kind of film that we might look retrospectively and go why wasn't that given an oscar or a bit of more positive attention so maybe it's good for you to yeah, bring that up on the show.
1: No, I, I think that's fair enough. Uh, the Northman as well snubbed everywhere, even cinematography. That's was that last year? That was yeah, it was last that's April. So I think. Weird to think about. Yeah, so that's a, that's another big snub right there. Um, I'll mention the Innocents, although I I doubt that had very much press or coverage, so I'm not going to complain about that. Um, interesting though, I'm just noticing this that out of the two Disney Pixar films that came in last year, it was Turning Red that got the nom, and Lightyear did not. Mm, I think that makes a lot of sense, though. Yeah. To be fair. Uh, Fresh. Fresh can get nominated for anything. Wow. Yeah. I mean, when you think about I, mean, I think it's in the same category as the yeah, menu, like you said. Menu. And because. plus, it's a horror film. Like, X got nominated for nothing. Nope got nominated for nothing. Um, Pearl got nominated for nothing. There's a lot of horror films that just aren't.
0: Yeah. Horror They're is a hard not. one.
1: Yeah. The category just. They don't like their horror films very much. But that's okay was like almost the 95th Academy Awards. Five to go. <laughs> Five to go and then it's done. They're going to no, stop. Can
0: you, can you, <laughs> we can, we'll be in our 10th year of the show. When oh, the 100th one happens. There you go. So we would have been around one-tenth of the length of the Oscars. Hmm. <laughs> Or how many decades at that point? We don't know. I know. Would it that would be just as many. The
1: 10th, <laughs> the 10th annual Golden Chalk Top Award would be <laughs> the most important part of that. The most that. prestigious
0: yeah. part of that show. Excellent. So I guess it's time for us to move in. Our f- oh, have you got any career updates? Oh, no. That's fine. I think we've, we've covered cool. it. I mean, I'm just
1: slowly editing Skinny
0: Blister. Yeah. That's cool. it. <laughs> Beauty. All right. Well, then it's time for us to move into our film of the week. Jake, what are we watching? We're watching the Zero Academy Award winner... <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Benchies of Inna Sheeran
2: Have you been rowing? Have you been rowing? Have I been rowing? Well, you yeah, are rowing. That does look like we're rowing.
0: You can't just stop being friends with a fella.
2: He's dull, Siobhan.
0: But he's always been dull. Maybe this whole thing has just been about Can't you just stand up for yourself?
2: How oh, are you, Fatty? Dancing with your dog, is it? What did you come here for? I just came to kick your door in and give you a slagging. Why aren't you talking to Pori no anymore?
0: That wouldn't be a sin, now, would it, Father? No, but it's not very nice either, is it? What I've decided to do is this. I have a set of shears at home, and each time you bother me, I'll take one of my fingers off with them. Starting from now. But shush like, Pori. You know, shush like. Yeah, I'd shush like
2: about one boring man leaving another man and all. One
0: boring man. You're all fucking
2: boring. Let's just call it quits. We won't call it quits. We'll call it the start.
0: <laughs> Two lifelong friends find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their relationship with alarming consequences for both of them. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know, I think it's pretty accurate. I think it is pretty accurate. i have to think about it for a second. Um, well,
1: I think much like Free Billboards, which also just like takes its premise and by page two, we're we'll right into it. Yes. It does like spiral in such an interesting way.
0: Yeah, you almost, I mean, it is that sort of, that's a good way of putting it. Mm. That it sort of has the premise and then kind of, Goes on a very windy road. Just takes off with it, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's one thing I love, 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 love about Martin McDonough. is he doesn't waste time. I mean, you you take, and of course we have to talk about his screenplay. I mean, like, mm-hmm. it's shocking he hasn't won any screenplay awards. Um, well, for uh, in terms of the Academy Awards, I'm sure he's won a screenplay Bafta for something. I'm sure he has. He's obviously would, written would. a lot of plays as well, but in terms of the way he structures a first act. Without the inside an incident being on page thirty or page forty, it's usually on page one or two. Yes, and he still finds a ways to organically introduce you to the characters and the, and the setting and
0: and then kind his, of builds. He almost introduces yeah. the problem, then builds the characters.
1: Yeah, no, it's brilliant. It gets you um, right into it.
0: But it, I guess it's one of those things, though. I mean, if we were obviously the first thing when people see this film as like, oh, it's Brendan Gleeson, Colin Fowler, we're going to get more of Bruges, But sure. I I definitely think this film doesn't even have anything in common with Bruges, apart from... It's
1: tonally very different.
0: Yeah, and I also think, well, you know, we're talking about this, this introducing the concept, almost the call to action in that first two minutes, mm-hmm. but that doesn't happen Bruges. In Bruges, in moulds a little bit, It takes 20, 25 minutes before we realise, oh, well... These two are assassins, and right. and Farrell ha- is dealing with a, an existential guilt because he's murdered a child mm. um, by accident, and that takes a lot longer to get to that point. And then sure. it, then we whereas, like I said with with three billboards and and this, we get it in the first five minutes. Yeah, you know, opening exchange. And um, and Gleason's very explicit in why he doesn't want to be friends anymore. Mm. Very early on. Yeah. So there's not even the what? Why doesn't he? Want yeah. To it's not
1: much of a driving question. I think you're right. After like five, ten minutes, it's, it's the, thing, pretty the second clear. or third exchange yeah, they have. Yeah.
0: Um, he reveals, and that's in the first twenty minutes that we, we he he wants to not be friends because he wants to focus on his development of his music career. Yeah. And he feels like his relationship with this person has no substance, which is actually one of those though an, a nihilistic concept <laughs> is a very real concept oh my god people yeah, no, have.
1: i'm sure most everyone has experienced something of this ilk to one degree or another yes because most people have many many friendships that go through all sorts of different ups and downs and that's why you know going right back to the start of this episode when i talk about why i would put it on my post for films you must watch is I think the execution of this idea of like the value we put on our own friendships, is so crucial. And what mm-hmm. I love about its execution as well is that first off, it doesn't—it's not contemporary. It takes place in the 1920s. Yes. So obviously, using the Irish Civil War as a bit of a backdrop and sort of a, a juxtaposition of you know that's the Civil War, but then on this tiny little island of Inishsherin, we're having that Civil War between two friends and how that sort of spirals into essentially what is a war where others um, are uh, hurt yes, and caught in the crossfire of that. Um, it's it's simplifying the idea. Because if you did do it in a contemporary setting, in like a crowded, busy, technologically-filled city, where it's like, okay, well, how does social media come in and like affect friendships and relationships, and how does that change the dynamic? And what mm. this film does is strip as much as possible down to its core. Here are two people on a tiny island with virtually nothing to do and let's explore friendship with that backdrop and i think that's what's so brilliant about the setting and the time period the yeah. backdrop yeah i think, I, think I,
0: I i i do think that there's like you've you've laid the groundwork there pretty well you've mm. you've also found that it, this very petty mm. um sort of tiff between two characters gets incredibly extreme and incredibly die very quickly, but how every character must feel like they need to be involved in it because there's so <laughs> little going on on the island, yes. you know? Um, with, you know, uh, obviously from everything from the people working at the bar to the police officer that's mm. nosy to the, the general store manager who every time she has a patron is asking about the gossip on the island. Yeah.
1: Like goes through Siobhan's like a letter <laughs> oh so good or even the 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 scene the scenes between Brendan Gleeson and, and the priest in the confession booth is so <laughs> funny they're so funny man but again speaks to this idea that things get around quickly and yes. everyone has to butt their heads in and in particular I mean this goes back to like sort of the McDonough-isms of his scripts which usually have very funny um, but repetitive and politically incorrect dialogue, but there's there's a point to the repetitiveness because you have mm-hmm. when Colin Farrell first approaches his sister and says, like, oh, like he's not talking to me, he doesn't want to meet at the bar, it the conversation they have in terms of, oh, well, is he just sitting there? Are we smoking? Is he asleep? Well, he can't smoke if he's asleep. Yeah. You know, are you guys rallying? No, we're not rallying. That exact conversation happens multiple times. With multiple people, and I think that speaks to how the, bored these people are. How boring they all are.
0: <laughs> it also has the. It almost feels like that's the Edgar Wright writing style of his, uh, <laughs> you know, his his Cornetto trilogy, where it's like he's got these English characters, or in this case, Irish characters, yeah. just repeating the same three or four lines, <laughs> and then the character getting more. But it's what it is in in the Edgar Wright one. It's characters get frustrated by this repetition, whereas yeah. in this, Colin Farrell just delivers the. The response, the exact same every time. He doesn't get annoyed. To yeah. everyone keeps asking if he's rallying. He just goes, "No, we're not." Like, because yeah. it's
1: not it's not pointless chatting, Zeke. It's good normal, normal. chatting, <laughs> 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 which that that is their their life. And the thing that I really picked up on a lot on my second viewing, uh, especially the parallels between um, Brennan Gleeson's character and Kerry Condon's character, in terms of I didn't realize how similar they were in terms of. I guess their level of intelligence and appreciation for art,
0: because uh, her love for books is quite an important part of the story. True, but I actually don't think they're that similar. Okay. I think the the there's a very um, interesting exchange that happens with between uh, Javon and what's um, Calm, isn't it? Colm. Colm. He has like a annoyingly long name that they keep saying. They, all, I know they, they it's have a of comical... annoyingly long Irish names. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, where, um, I mean, the big one is it's like that scene where he's bringing up Mozart, but gets the wrong century. Yes. Um, Calm is a character that thinks he's more intellectual than what he actually is to right. the point that... And that's the difference. That's why Siobhan... I mean, not to spoil the film, but that's why sure. the only character that leaves Inashirin mm-hmm. is Siobhan. And yes. I think um, she is a character that is... And it, I think it's one of her best scenes in the film is when he... He, she says that everyone on the island is boring. It's not just him. <laughs> She's everyone. Everyone's so brilliant, yeah. And sh- he's kind of feigning intellect and culture. But the yes. reality is, he is just as one knows as Colin Farrell's mm. character. To the point where his weird obsession with suddenly now he needs to become an artist. Yep. Um, but is willing to forego his musical gift because a character won't stop pestering him yeah that's i mean that's like it's illogical isn't it and uh, i know that's that mcdonoughism of, of just extreme behavior yeah ralph finds blowing his brains out out of moral <laughs> principle um
1: it's almost every character in free billboards free doing something, something. throwing molotovs at, at I was other like woody and... harrelson blowing his brains out, <laughs> out of principle
0: um it's it, and i think that what this is trying to say is, yeah, there's these characters that are trying to feign greatness mm. when in reality, what Pharaoh was saying, though simple when his nature or dull as the film yep. likes to portray yep. is his friendship or lack of like is not the thing that prevents the creation of that song. I think, I think the fact that the song is created through this constant pestering and mm. I think there's an argument to be made that is is him losing his fingers the thing that's actually creating that song, yeah. or is it actually because of the silence?
1: Well, it's cold? interesting because, and I I actually watched the, the it was, I think it was a writers panel, like the variety writers panel, and like everyone was there, the Daniels were there, mm-hmm. and um. Uh, Kushner was there for Fablemans and that so I watched this before I'd seen The Banshees of Inishirin yes and I remember thinking this was probably a spoiler at the time and as you said it's very early on when you find out he's doing what he's doing because of his art and his music and he wants to pursue greatness yeah it's not um,
0: like it's not like that driving question is it yeah Fable?
1: exactly it's not like a big it's not like To Leslie like I mentioned earlier it's a big driving question it takes a whole film to learn like what did she do specifically but when Martin McDonough was talking about it He said he was writing this film... Uh, Basically, the big question with the characters was how far would you go for your art? Yes. Which is very interesting because I took an entirely different uh, perspective away from when I actually finally sat down and watched the film. And it was basically, how stubborn are you willing to be to prove a point? Because both characters become incredibly stubborn <laughs> to point to prove their points respectively.
0: And and illogical. I mean and A, they actually both um, their stubbornness, they also lose their, their principal values and morals yes. too. Yes. In that in that pursuit. And I think that's what Barry Kean's character is so important mm. for. Because, you know, you've got um, Farrell's character who, you know, is simple but very nice. Hearted, and yeah. very kind hearted. And, and in those early, that first 30 minutes, you do really feel bad for him. He yeah. actually is genuinely upset by losing his friend yeah. and loses a sense of purpose because that's who he was as a character. You know, of, of Padrick. Is it mm. Padrick? To make it sound like it's There's Podrick. a couple of different
1: pronunciations. <laughs> I yeah, think it sounded film. like
0: Padrick, but it's yeah. Padrick apparently. Right, but Right. Thanks, me mcdonough for making it nice and easy to say um I, it's funny when I, I saw this in theaters back in
1: january i could hear people behind me be like i can't understand a word of them are <laughs> saying i was dying laughing i'm like i love that people watching this film have no idea what's happening <laughs> Yeah, but I, <laughs> I, of the I, accents. I
0: think yeah i mean that, and they both lose that that sense of identity i guess if you want to call it that but
1: yeah well i mean brendan Gleeson. and I mean, and like you said, we're already in spoiler territory, but the fact that he's willing to and does cut his fingers off yeah, it's like, well are you really striving to be a great musician if if that's what you're doing to yourself? And on the flip side, you've got Colin Farrell who is kind-hearted, but just through this journey, he becomes so much more hateful by the end of the film, and
0: bitter. Yeah, but he's, I think he's driven to that point I think that he, I mean, he's still our character's protagonist, and I think his breaking point obviously happens when what happens to Jenny, but mm. I think for me, the way I interpreted it was that Colm's doing this stuff, like self-mutilating themselves, mm. in some iconoclastic way of proving a point, but yes. in reality, I, I see it more as it's a character looking for an excuse to fail. Um, um, and okay. I think that that him saying, oh, well... I haven't achieved anything because of our relationship.
1: Right. Now right. it's like a different excuse almost.
0: Yeah, it could it definitely suits. I mean, obviously the the town slowly turns on on Padraic too, which I think also drives him deeper and deeper into mm. that meaner hole. The fact that he's willing to say to a random character out of jealousy that he got hit he got his dad got hit by a bread <laughs> bus. <laughs> that is
1: by far the weirdest, funniest scene the weirdest I've seen scene. in
0: years. It's just. It so is so. Weird.
1: Fu- I, the theater was dying during that scene. <laughs> I was
0: so confused.
1: If it's the same fucking bread van, I'm gonna kill him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like a Wallace and Gromit skit. <laughs> like, oh my it was god! Very confusing. It's just,
1: and like, I think this is an inherent funniest with like a kind-hearted person trying to be mean. And yes, like still in the early steps there. But even just the dialogue delivery, the circumstance they found themselves in. Oh, my God, dude. It is I'll, so funny. I'll give
0: Colin Farrah... He's one of... His clueless is so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> like, he delivers it so well. Oh, God. But I, I think, for me, yeah, that's... That's... It, I think he was, he's prompted. He's pushed. Mm. He's pushed. I mean, and when he... as soon. I mean, he hit that breaking point when he finds out his sister's leaving.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And... I think that it's really interesting when you watch that. That's a really cool dynamic, and, and we really are seeing what happens in an extent that uh, what happens when a relationship ends or mm-hmm. a friendship ends abruptly. And like you said, it's this exploration of pure stubbornness, isn't
1: it? It is, and, and and like like you said, we feel so bad for for Colin Farrell's character. We we have such sympathy for him because we as people would probably tend to relate to him more in the sense that we've probably lost friends that we didn't want to lose. Yeah. And I mean, that's much more common. I mean, it, it's much more of a gruff situation to be on the other side where you've you've just straight up, like, dumped a friend. Yeah. And it's, like, good rhythms. And usually, you know, it's done. And, and I've definitely been on both sides of that relation. And we want to sympathize with the person who... I don't want to lose this friendship. Mm. I still want to be friends with you. But the, the way this film just masterfully and slowly pushes and pushes and pushes all its characters and like you said, the complete stubbornness. You get to the end of the film and you're just like oh my god, let it go. Mm. You know, like, what do you, at this point are you, do you honestly you're know, going to achieve that friendship status that you had prior to all of this happening? It's almost like, at this point, as much as Brendan Gleeson went about it in a really bad way. Or an extreme way. An extreme way, a very strict way. He even admits it. He's like, look, I was very harsh yesterday. But at some point you just have to respect his wishes yeah as as ill-gotten and silly and 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 as they say all sorts of things about him maybe being depressed and that's why he's making these decisions for all of those reasons you can make up eventually you just have to acknowledge his wishes yeah and i think that's the the beauty of this film is that neither character succumbs neither character just gives up and that i mean that's that's great character writing and it's great story writing, especially mm. for a film like this where it does get to that point where he sets his friend's house on fire yeah. <laughs> by the end of the film. And
0: n- conscientiously knows he's inside. Yes, yeah. Sees him inside.
1: He's like, well, all right, you're going to die. Yeah. And I remember in the theater watching this being like, it makes a lot of sense for Brennan, for Brennan Gleeson to die until I realized he's too stubborn to die. Yeah. And I think you're really, really onto something with a whole... He's almost, like, trying to fail or mm. give himself an excuse to fail by cutting off his yeah,
0: fingers. Yeah, I, I, and you go, oh, well, he finishes the song, but by the end of it, he's only simply, like, composing the song. He wasn't creating yeah, he's, it. he's and like a conductor is, now. <laughs> I mean, we're watching him play the the, the fiddle, and, and at times it, it doesn't sound that great. Mm. I mean, it doesn't sound cohesive. So maybe he was someone to write music rather than actually produce it, like, create it himself. Yeah, I mean, there's a... I, I don't know if that's that's um, Padrick trying to upset him, but he says it sounds like crap in the first, the opening. Yeah. Oh,
1: I think mean, that's definitely him just trying to upset him. <laughs> I reckon he probably can't even really tell the difference between. I mean, there's definitely a subtlety to For sure. to understanding from For music, sure. and it's like I always attend like Kirsty's concerts, and it's like someone like, "What do you think of it?" I'm like, "Well, of course I think it's great." <laughs> I don't have that level of of musical intellect yeah. that I could dissect music and blah 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 blah, but. I mean, there's an element of that going on. But to your point earlier, in terms of... We talked about Carrie Condon's character mm-hmm. and her... Like I said, I just noticed it a lot. more. I actually wrote down some of the books she was reading, the quote-unquote sad books <laughs> that Colin Farrell wants her to stop reading. Jane Austen, Jane Barlow. Like I said, she's the one that corrects him about the Mozart dates. Mm-hmm. It, and like you said, because I think she is the the... Least stubborn of them all, and probably most fed up about the stubbornness is that when she is offered a job off the island to, I guess, run a library, and she jumps at it. A very, she doesn't. She feels upset for what she's going to do to her brother, and and mm-hmm. but it's like for her, the value of of it's not even friendship. They're they're blood related.
0: Yeah, and not only does she leave, she invites him to, to join. Come him. Join, yeah, yeah. And I think it's one of those things where it's like. Yeah, she's not a bad person, but it, it Padrick is it doesn't really though is always really nice to Siobhan always says she's really kind There's says a lot yep. of really nice things about yep. her. He there is that that level where she does feel incredibly isolated. I mean, he he invites her out to drinks but then recounts it because he's mm-hmm. having a sook and yep. there's a lot of the film she's putting Padrick second. Um and, you know, she's trying to be accommodating to Barry Keenan's character of Dominic, who is um, in love with her. In lo- well, <laughs> I think he's just a mess of a character, isn't he? I mean, and that's not his fault. We you know we find out very early on that mm. you know he's a, a child of sexual abuse because his father, uh, who's the police officer, is, is not a very nice person, nope. and um, so I, I think it's yeah. It and there's that whole scene that I think sort of evidently. She's absolutely, I say that, lonely. She's breaking down, crying in bed, and yep. Padrick goes, "Oh, are you okay?" And obviously, she's not okay, <laughs> but then proceeds to just go back to bed. Yeah. Um, so I guess there's that belief in him that,
1: like, obviously he very much cares for his sister, but I think yeah. because of that, there's that dimness side to it of he's just sort of hopeful and almost too hopeful that everything is fine. Yeah, I mean, she isn't going to abandon him. Yeah, I I just thought the dynamic between them all was very interesting this time around. And and while we're on the topic of Dominic, of Barry Keegan's character, um, I really found it interesting because it was something that my first viewing sort of slipped, that he just sort of slips into the background. And of course, he winds up dead at the end of the film. Yes,
0: it's it's
1: kind of out of nowhere, isn't it? I I remember thinking that first, and I really wanted to be aware of it this time and and noticing three things. Noticing three things in relation to his fate. Number one, he doesn't... Uh, he's very clearly, like, wants to be with Siobhan and, like, wants to mm-hmm. ask her out or whatever it is. And I remember reading a trivia fact. I thought it was funny. They're only nine years apart in age in real life. Even though it looks like they're way... It's a much wider gap Yeah, like 20. Yeah, it's it feels implied, like 20. It's about 20. Much... Yeah, it's almost like he could be her son, potentially. Yeah. Uh, that, that kind of age gap. But the first thing I noticed is he doesn't actually ask her out proper... Until he has that realisation, he's like, "You're actually that's actually a really mean thing you did. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, this person he looked up to as being kind is not kind anymore. Mm. And not only that, but when he gets rejected, that's the last time we ever see him. So I guess you could assume potentially it was an it's, intentional thing for
0: him. Yeah, I mean, I guess his story ends there. His story ends there, Maybe, and it's sad. And, I,
1: and the third thing I want to mention really quickly, i it, this slipped, is right before this is in the bar when Jenny the donkey's died Mm -hmm. and he's basically saying I'm going to burn your house down tomorrow and then the police officer kicks the door in and he actually says oh it's dominating at your house yeah so there's like a little clue in there that he's been missing for a few days at this point
0: there is isn't it just this little
1: clue I'm like ah they just put it in there I look I'm with you in in terms of he sort of disappeared for like 30 minutes and then appeared Mm. dead and it is a little jarring at first but the other thing as well, and again, this is something I wasn't thinking about too much until. I didn't I didn't know the the term of banshees yes until my second rewatch and I realized like oh, it's the the old creepy lady uh, Mrs. McCormack, Yes. Who is the banshee. And is is predicting two deaths on the island for most of the time. Yeah, and a film. very
0: weird interaction with Padraig. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny when he's hiding behind the like the little wall. Yeah. <laughs>
1: He accuses his sister of doing the same thing that he's hiding yeah so i feel like there is a pretty clear answer to this but who do you think are I, I feel like there's one real death and then one metaphorical death that she's referring to
0: yeah i could argue it's the i mean it's interesting on the island yeah so it's probably just the the dead you're right a metaphorical death i would say and um, maybe that's just the symbolizing of their relationship is mm. ended and i think that's pretty defined with that final scene and that final shot with them it, sort of. it pretty
1: much is the final shot. you're right where she's separating the two of them in the frame mm. which is really interesting it's funny because i always think the metaphorical death was siobhan leaving the island yeah but i mean that's a really good point it's very important that that's like essentially the final shot there's like one shot in the sky afterwards yeah which i think they should man you should have just ended it on yeah, that it's shot of good them shot walking away
0: obviously the gunfire has ceased and yes you know there's a very small exchange between the two characters about oh well that's it but obviously um i think padrick the fact that he's the one that actually has the negative comment like hmm. you know gleason's character of Colm is, is like oh well the gunfire's ended so i guess it might be over soon Yep. And the fact that Padrick's the one who goes, Nah, it's, it will never be over. People will always will fight and mm. stuff. The fact that he's the one to say the negative yeah. line really signifies his change. His change as a character. He's yeah. becoming quite cynical and jaded. Yeah. Um, so the death of that kind man that just liked to chat. Um, <laughs> Aww. Yeah probably probably a very depressing time on inner sheeran after the film finishes yeah (laughs) there's not a lot of things to like left in the world for them
1: i I mean that's so the point though isn't it like what's left for anyone on this island you know if they're going to be as stubborn as they are and you know he's got an opportunity to follow his sister and find a job after Mm. the civil war's over and i don't you're right he's not in the headspace to do it it's a very tragic story it is and there's, it's very—it's a very funny story, or it's told very funnily, and there's a lot of great moments in it. But the actual core of it, and just like we said, it's a down-spiralling mm-hmm. story of, of two friendships that get further and further apart, apart. from being repaired. Yep. Um, yeah, it's really tragic. The thing... But here's the thing. There's little... It's sort of slipped in there every now and then. There's little moments where, despite Colm's, like very, not passive-aggressive, but very tough stance on, like, don't speak to me or don't talk to me. There are a couple of times where he does still stick up for his friend, for someone who still has, he clearly still has feelings for in some regard. Yeah. Both times against the, well, the first time is passively against the the cop. Obviously he's beaten up because he, he dogged on him for abusing Dominic. Mm-hmm. but he helps him up onto the cart and actually takes him back to the other side of the island and there's no words exchanged between them but it is a nice sweet moment where he gives him like a bit of a leg up again
0: yeah I think it's it's sort of sweet but mm. obviously there's the um you know that leads to Padrick breaking down crying on yes. the way back and yeah. then Cole to and they have that very symbolic fork in the road sort of moment mm. and obviously the second time being he just yocks him yeah <laughs> <laughs> just straight up punches him in the face yeah but it, I think it's it's interesting because I don't really particularly, this is that other reason it really, you really get behind Padrick, I reckon as a protagonist, because mm. it's sort of only at moments when he kind of opens the door a little bit. That's when Padrick re- retaliates. He comes storming mm-hmm. to the, Oh, maybe I just needed to be a bit more tough love. And it's like, he's not a very smart character. It's pretty established mm-hmm. early on. So these moments of sympathy, Actually, egging it on, which kind of makes you buy into that Mm. theory more. Does he want him to come in here? So he does cut his fingers off so he can hold him accountable. Yeah, exactly. Um, And even
1: just like him hearing different stories of like when he has that big go off in the bar. Yeah. And then after he's left, he says, Oh, I like him again. And then that, again, later plays into his return where he kicks the door down and he's (laughs) (laughs) misinterpreted. Exactly. It's misinterpretation. And they just keep both leaning into that where if, if the it's stubbornness but if there was just stubbornness on the part of oh well you don't want to be my friend fine i'm never speaking to you again if it was that kind of stubbornness could be all right yeah but it's the other kind of stubbornness where no 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 but he but he said this thing and he did that thing maybe he meant this and
0: yeah he just yeah. doesn't give up no and neither two characters too stubborn both uh <laughs> Sort of ending up in the same place they were in Imbrush, really. Yeah, yeah. It's, Either it's... dead or seriously hurt.
1: <laughs> Before we go into our highlight scenes, yes, I want to, and I actually did mention this in my initial letterbox review and how pacing, music, cinematography—they all sort of. I mean, it's all beautiful, and the music's really great. The, mm. the landscape photography, in particular, it's got this, you just got this—you know—very tiny island, but they're utilizing it in terms of the scale of how much open space there is yes. for these characters to sort of live in. But it all feels very much secondary to the story and the script at hand. Mm. And do you think there's a version of this film where maybe there is more of a Baz Luhrmann, flashy cinematography nah. or editing?
0: Nah, because the premise of the film is so simple. Yep. Uh, and I just don't see... I think the opening... Sort of, you know, the, the, when it's got like the uh, the church choir sort mm. of singing like a tr- more traditionally Irish oh. sounding, and you know, Farrell's happily <laughs> walking through and he's smiling and he's there's really a happy. Ra- there's
1: a literal rainbow in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny,
0: brilliant. <laughs> is is as uh, as creatively loud as this film will ever get, mm. and and yeah. should because the the film's premise is so simple. Yeah. And the casting is is pretty immaculate. Mm. I don't think you could have chose better people to play any of these characters, oh, or even no, they're all so good. So I, I think the film we got is is the best version of this film. Mm. So yeah,
1: that's Jake. What love to hear. Hmm? What was your highlight scene? I I kind of spoiled them all. In all honesty, <laughs> I mean, like I said, the confession booth scenes are absolutely cool. hilarious. Wouldn't it be a sin, no, but it's not very nice either. <laughs> Um, but like I said, again, easily the, one of the funniest scenes I've seen in a long time, the the bread van story. Oh my god,
0: is just so fun. It's just ridiculous, <laughs> though, isn't it? I mean, you just that's
1: how my it's literally possible. It's how my mum died.
0: <laughs> it is insane. Oh my
1: god, I'm sorry. It's so I know like we were, it's a pretty boring highlight scene. I usually like to talk about something that's really interesting with the way the camera does and all the performance. But I think that's just a purely hilarious. I was going to say,
0: but this type of film, it's like that's sort of what you want, isn't it? I'm going to go with oh. When are you going to go with seek? For my highlight scene, (laughs) I'll I'll opt for. I I was a big fan of. there's a couple of scenes in there I really liked. I, I, I did like the introduction scene to where um, Colm is saying um, why he doesn't want to be friends with him anymore. And right. he's talking about his how they. And, and there's a funny exchange there where you he's liked like, to me just talked, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> You just. That yesterday. Yeah, you just spent three did. hours talking about his donkey's dung <laughs> and what was in it. But what I really love, and you want to talk about cinematography, yeah. although the camera just sits there, it doesn't need to do much because it's such an immaculately beautiful location. Mm. Yeah. The fact that their pub was just sitting on like the edge of the ocean. Yeah. Just yeah. looking out. And it's just like such a minimalist film in terms of like sets. They might have built that pub. But it's just that gorgeous, makes sense. isn't yeah, it? It's yeah. incredible. When even little things like when Siobhan's leaving and and we actually look up to the rocks and, and you can see and the hiss. silhouette waving. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. That is a beautiful shot. That, that's a weird shot. Now before we move on, there's mm. a very that shot in particular is quite odd because we see Padrick waving goodbye and in the background is that the old, is that Mrs. McCormick?
1: Re- I reckon it is and I now, I now that I think about it I think that's her being present for the, the metaphorical death of mm. Siobhan leaving the island.
0: So maybe if
1: it. If you want to read it that way I think that's why she's there just thought I'd bring that up but I don't want to dismiss like you said the death of their friendship which I think is also a very equally valid which she's also looking at yes exactly yeah I mean that's exactly who that is but you're right watching the second time I was like oh yeah we never really get like a close up on her do we no we never get that that confirmation of who that is
0: because at first on first view like your first reaction is oh that's Cole like for some reason He's
1: got the big, like, trench coat thing. But it's he, just a black... You know, he's, like, super sh- evil yeah. when he's walking away. So looks like Mad-Eye Moody. <laughs> he does. <laughs> I was re-watching Deathly Heartless Part 1 recently. And oh, I was neither, like... And he, he, he's like, oh, Mad-Eye's dead. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a very anticlimactic way to kill that character. <laughs> it's so oh, bad. I've great. not... I love that movie. I don't care no, what anyone says. I, I can. I
0: will one. not... I will happily take those movies apart... The Banshees and of Inner are currently out on, D- or is currently out on Disney Plus. Speaking- all of the Banshees. All the Banshees. They're all there. They're all there. All,
1: there. all zero Oscar winning Banshees.
0: <laughs> Speaking of uh, streaming platforms, Jake, what's new to streaming platforms and cinemas this week?
1: Coming to Netflix, you got an animated film called The Magician's Elephant, which is centered around an orphan boy named Peter. When a fortune teller tells him to find a magician, uh, sorry, a fortune teller tells him to find a magician with an elephant, that would start him on his journey to finding his missing sister. Ah, Another little animation category little for Netflix then, maybe. Now that's interesting. Stan is uh getting Shazam this week. Which is particularly interesting because the Shazam sequel, Fury of the Gods, releases in cinemas wow. this week. So they very good timing for you so anyone excited for that? I'm you know, we enjoyed the first one. We did, it was we a long time ago. We did episode Thirteen, I think. Wow, yeah, a while ago now. It should have been two hundred and thirteen. We've done Fury of the
0: Gods. That would have been cool. That, that's alright. That's okay. Some things just don't line up.
1: No, that's okay. But speaking of Disney Plus, you got the Boston Strangler, which sees Kira Knightley as the first reporter to connect the series of murders and break the story on the Boston Strangler in the 1960s. You also got the Miley Cyrus Endless Summer Vacation music event, which I'm guessing is like a musical thing. That's coming out for a new album. I think she has a new album that just oh, came okay. out. I, feel, I think there's a bit of a connection there. So that's actually I, that's on Disney Plus right now. I think that's already out. Coming to Prime, you've got Good Luck to You, Leah Grande. Very nice. Coming to Apple TV Plus, you have the final season of Ted Lasso, which begins airing this week. So excited!
0: Aww. So excited!
1: It is. Is it the last season?
0: Um. Yeah. Yeah. They were always okay. only uh, gonna ever do three seasons. Wow. So, Fair enough. Um, Shows
1: are getting shorter and shorter. It feels like. We've talked about this recently, but yeah,
0: we did. We did have a good. We had a conversation last week. About I think it was it. last week. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think it's good. It, it's a very. If you watch the first two seasons, which I know a couple of people have just started watching them in the last couple of weeks, mm. it's very clearly meant to be a three-part story. Okay, so yeah, fair enough. Um, can't wait for that to win a bunch of awards. Bunch of Emmys, yeah, yeah. A bunch there of Emmys. This is gonna
1: be crazy. I'm so curious how um. If either Pedro Pascal, or Bella Ramsey win
0: for Last of Us, I would be very shocked if they didn't.
1: Very, very good chance.
0: Like they're going up against Succession, probably. That is true, but Succession has had it a lot of time in the sun. So the thing that the thing though that
1: because I don't see I do I don't, I don't think it? Emmy nominate uh, Academy, their Academy, Emmy's mm-hmm. are Academy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, does Academy members really give a shit if? If it's like, oh, they've had their due, let's give it to another show. I think they just ride and die until the show's finished. so It's going to be so
0: good. It can't be too far away, is it? (laughs) It's very,
1: very, very soon, which I'm excited about. And finally, coming to cinemas, alongside the Shazam sequel we just mentioned, you got All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which was just up for the documentary award. Didn't win. That's okay. Gives us a rare look into the life of the renowned photographer and activist Nan Golden. You also got Meet Me in the Bathroom, another documentary which this one takes us through an immersive journey into New York City's music scene in the early 2000s. And finally, Ground Swell, the other side of fear, takes us into a more modern surfing scene with Nick Von Rump, uh, Kai Lenny, Matt Broomley, Terry Meester, and Bianca Van... Uh, Valen... Vanelty, excuse me, as they tackle monstrous waves around the world, Zeke. I saw someone I was when I was at Luna the other day I saw someone take a photo of them next to the poster on the wall so I thought is this a local film was that was that the director I don't think yeah. it is I think it's an American film but Maybe nevertheless that. I noticed that and thought it was very strange why were they taking that photo seek
0: who knows <laughs> who knows <laughs> there's
1: gotta be some reason for it
0: do you know Succession's Sessions billed as a drama comedy yeah sort of makes sense doesn't it it definitely is up for the drama 26th of March say. <laughs> so. it's very close not man. to spoil next week's what's on the show that'll and, uh, probably
1: oh you're right that's less than two weeks away
0: yeah oh yeah oh <laughs> which is good because then we'll finish up Last of Us talk about that imperfect time to switch into Succession that is true yeah so that'll line up nicely yeah. Jake we're not watching oh was that it no for... it was it, it was yeah. a lot of documentaries that came out this week oh but Jake, what are we watching next week on
1: the show? <laughs> I set you up for that. I tried so hard. Oh, God. All right. Yes, we're doing a documentary next week on the show. In fact, we are watching, apparently, the best one of the past year. We're watching Navalny.
2: Hello. Vladimir Александрович. This is Navalny, Alexey, is worried about I wanted to know why to
1: Remarkably, Vladimir Putin faces a legitimate opponent, Alexei Navalny.
2: I don't want Putin being president. If I want to be a leader
1: of a country, I have to organize people. The Kremlin hates Navalny so much that
0: they refuse to say his name. Passengers heard Navalny cry out in agony. Come on. Poisoned? Seriously?
1: In 2020, Navalny survives an assassination attempt via poisoning with a lethal nerve agent and during his months long recovery he makes shocking discoveries about the attempt on his life and decides to return home
0: so this is on SBS On Demand isn't it Zeke you know what full props to SBS On Demand we've been Mm. singing its praises for Mm. the last definitely at least the last year and now they've got an oscar-winning doco in the year of its oscar-winning the day its of its winning day, day yeah. of its winning so absolutely a free service and you can watch the best picture that doesn't happen every day
1: yeah. so that's very awesome we're um, very excited to
0: see it now oh, first russian film too
1: yeah yeah of course very excited to be doing a lot of these contemporary films as we have been obviously we're like we said we did films like and Fablemans and Banshees and all these films that didn't win any Oscars. It's fine. Yes. we're going to do this um, another modern or contemporary documentary. But we're going to start turning around soon. Zeke, our Countdown for the Decades Challenge is fast approaching. Yes. And uh, I think those at home who want to get involved in voting, of course, for those who don't know me and Zeke, we elect one film each that goes on Instagram and you, the audience, can vote which one we do each week. Starting from the 2020s, going all the way down to the 1930s, 10 weeks in a row. Uh, so keep an eye on our respective
0: Instagram handles later this week to get the very first vote for a
1: 2020s film. Yes,
0: yeah, so that's at ZekeMH for me, and you're at Check the Clicker. Check the Clicker. Yeah. That's the one. So, um, yeah. That's a countdown through the decades number four. IV. Mm, so, IV, So, a new hope. Yes, a <laughs> new hope. Um, so, yeah, that'll be dropping. Get in as many votes as you can. Yes. Um, we love seeing it. We love having everyone involved, and we love everyone choosing them. Even if you don't know either of the films, just pick one. Yeah. Go ahead. Pick What's my one. What's
1: stopping you? <laughs> no, <laughs> pick my one. Pick uh, mine. Do we... Wait. Yes. I, do, people don't know which one ours are.
0: No. They don't say... Because I don't think that's very fair. No, it's not. That turns into some weird popularity content. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, admittedly, when we've chosen them, we have, at times, both thought about choosing ones that we knew that were going to get more votes. <laughs> um, just because we quietly keep score who gets chosen more. Which is relatively even most years. I think it was 5-5 five, five last year. But pr-
1: yeah, usually it's pretty close. It's 5-5, five, five, It's six, never four. been like 8-2. Yeah. It's always been 5-5, five, 6-4... Five, Maybe we had a 7 free one year. I don't think
0: so. Yeah, We'd have to check the all-time scores. But this is ah. the best best thing about the show. We introduced this in Season 2. It allows us to go through and watch films from eras that are far from ours. You know, mm. like you said, the 95th Academy Awards just happened. Yeah, very So, exciting. you know, eventually we'll end up watching a film that'll be nearly... Well, nearly 100 years old at this point, which is crazy mm, to think about. There you go. Until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sire podcast. I was Jake. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with... Navalny.